the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. As we continue our journey through the book of Romans, we do so once again here in chapter 11 as we focus in on Israel's salvation. That's next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. When it comes to the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul is really quite thorough. He deals with salvation. He deals with sin. He deals with it in Gentiles and Jews alike. And here in chapter 11, he takes a moment to discuss the Jews, Israel's salvation. Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 10 is where we meet up with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, for today's Abounding Grace. Israel's salvation. For about the last 160 to 70 years, sections of the church have been in the grips of a very dangerous air. And that is that the nation of Israel is still, in some sense, God's earthly people. And that even more, the retention of Palestine... First, they're getting it back, and now they're keeping it, is necessary so that the cataclysmic end-time events can take place and Jesus can return to Mount Zion. Beloved, that is very bad interpretation of Scripture. But when you join that to to the Zionism that has rolled in waves through Britain and America... It has turned the Middle East into a war zone and a graveyard and monuments to the church's folly and the greed and the arrogance of politicians. Verse 15 makes it very clear that at present the nation of Israel has been cast away. Their fall, which is mentioned here in verses 11 through 15, is the result of their rejection of the Messiah. And when they rejected him, as Jesus said in Matthew 21, 43, when when he told the parable of the vineyard owner who planted the vineyard, put a wall around it, lent it out to husbandmen, and then sent his messengers and prophets to receive payment. And after their failure... He finally sent his son whom they killed. Jesus said, you're going to kill me because you think. Let us seize the inheritance for ourselves on our own terms. And then Jesus said, the kingdom will be taken away from you and given to a nation bearing the fruit of it. That was horrible and as deep as the Jewish apostasy has been. Paul has already told us in verses 1 through 6 that it is not total. Now, who is Paul? 
He was an Israelite. He says there in verse 5, even in his day, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now he tells us in verses 11 through 15 that the fall of the nation as a whole is not final. So first he says in his day, the apostasy is not total. Now he says it will not be final. By God's power and grace, there will be a restoration of that people to the covenant. And when it happens, verse 15, it will be like life from the dead. Life from the dead. So we need to listen to God's words here very, very carefully and also joyfully. Because the world is not what many preachers, what many scientists, what politicians, and what other men say it is. For the gospel is not dead. God is executing his purposes now, and there will be yet a more glorious unfolding of them when God's former people will be received back into the church of Jesus Christ. In verse 11, Paul makes this one main point, and that is, Israel's fall is not final. He says, have they? And who is they? The closest antecedent is verses 8 through 10. Those who have stumbled, those who have been hardened, those who have rejected the Messiah, the Jews. They cannot refer to the remnant back up in verse 5 because they didn't stumble. They embrace the Messiah by the Lord's providence in their lives, but the majority did stumble. So Paul asked the question, which is a mirror of the question in verse 1. For there he said, has God cast them away completely? And here he says in verse 11, have they stumbled that they should fall. His implication being, should they never rise again? He gives the same answer in verse 11 he gave in verse 1. God forbid. And it's an expression of abhorrence that it is impossible, verse 1, that Israel should be fully lost. Verse 11, it is abhorrent and impossible that Israel should be finally, permanently lost. Was there apostasy culpable? Yes. Was it not terrible? Yes. Has God cursed them at present? Verses 8 through 10? Yes. But God is able to recover what he has cast out. So Paul is looking to the future. Paul adds in verse 11, which continues into verse 12, something of God's purpose in Israel's fall. Now, it's interesting that he asks the question. But before he gives a specific answer, he makes the point here that what he is teaching is primarily focused for the Gentiles. In other words, he's talking to us. He wants us to understand what God is doing. And mainly, he wants our pride to be humbled. For nothing was more common in Paul's day, and it is common today, 
than to look down on the Jews because they crucified the Lord of glory. And of course, after that, they did very little to help the situation because they persecuted the apostles, killed James the apostle, then persecuted the church and stirred up all kinds of efforts for the Gentile governments to stomp out the gospel. And it would have been very easy for the Gentiles to return the favor that the Jews had given to them for centuries to look down on them, to treat them horribly, and to rejoice in their calamities. Those snakes, they get what they deserve. Many people still feel this way today. But Paul directs us to much higher considerations. He says, why did God ordain the Jewish fall? The word fall there means trespass. It was so that through their wickedness, through their rejection of the Messiah, salvation might come to us, the Gentiles. God ordained that we be saved through their diminishment, through their lowering, through their defeat. He did this in order to provoke them, the Jews, to jealousy, as Moses said way back in Deuteronomy 32. So by the time Paul is writing this, this idea is already 1,500 years old. As we read it today, it is now 3,500 years old. That way back, the Lord knew the bane of the Jews was their pride. Moses knew it. You know, God has a long and accurate memory. And sin casts long shadows. The Jews were stubborn. They placed a supreme confidence in their connection to Abraham. And they would not humble themselves before God's word. And when they rejected Christ, it was but the bitter fruit, the final fruit of their millennial long rebellion against God. So when the Lord judged them so horribly and gave their covenant to the Gentiles, it was to provoke them. It was to stir them back up. That when they see the Gentiles enjoying God's favor, prospering under the reign of the Messiah, the Prince, God's intent was to humble their proud hearts and to bring them to their senses, which they one day will realize. Now this may seem a very strange way to bring about the restoration of Israel, but it was up to but it was up to us to determine it, was it not? No. We are supposed to put our hand over our mouths, shut up and tremble before God's word. And as Gentiles, primarily, we are supposed to be humbled because we are enjoying the blessing that God once promised to Abraham and to his descendants. It is only because the Jews were cut off that we are grafted onto the olive tree of faith, as Paul will soon teach us in verse 17. Now, many will say, of course, that the Jews are far beneath any gospel consideration. But this can't possibly be what this passage means. 
They crucified the Lord of glory, yes. And their existence since then has been marked by rebellion and scheming and the perverting of the Old Testament scripture. But as bad as all these things are, none of them are as bad as the day they rejected their own Messiah and crucified the Lord of glory. But God's grace and power are able to bring them back from ruin. And he didn't ask us to put our stamp of approval upon the method he has chosen to restore them. He just tells us to shut up and be humble and to bow before his majesty and to be deeply, deeply humbled that we who were aliens, strangers, barbarians have now been brought into the family of Abraham that family of faith. Paul said, we have nothing of which to boast except the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we should thus marvel at God's mercy to us that one day will bring those rebels, the Jewish nation, even back into his fold. Now, verse 12 has two redemptive surprises, we might say. None would have thought that the fall of the Jews would be the riches of the world, the abundance, the fullness of the Gentiles. That is totally inexplicable. But in some respects, I couldn't help but remember Joseph as I was thinking of this passage. This is very similar to what Joseph confessed to his brothers after Jacob died in Genesis fifty twenty. His brothers were all afraid. Joseph will surely come and get us now. Jacob died. The gloves were coming off. But what did Joseph say? He said in Genesis 50, 20, You thought evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now, it was a horrible evil for Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery. But it was much more evil for their descendants to crucify the one who came unto his own. Little old Joseph's brothers think that God would turn their treachery into their own deliverance. And we see the same thing here. The Lord in his wisdom brought great riches Great gospel abundance to the whole world through the Jews' treachery and the rejection of the Messiah. As Egypt was saved from a famine through Joseph's degradation into slavery, so the Lord Jesus sunk very low in order to save us from our sins. So the Lord brought about the diminishing of his former people, their fall, their destruction, and their casting off. So that by rejecting him, yes, they sunk into deeper ruin. But just like Joseph's brothers were eventually fed by the hand they betrayed, so the Jews will one day enjoy the fullness and be fed by the hand of the shepherd that they struck down. So that the words of our Savior will be fulfilled. There will be one flock and one shepherd. So we must tremble tremble here before God's wisdom and power. 
It is true, and I must admit I tremble before these verses because I don't see how in the world this can come to pass. For the Jews are sunk in the most abysmal blindness and hatred against Christ. But so were we. And plus we serve the God whom we learn from Joseph raises the dead and uses the betrayed to save the betrayers. That is the God we serve. The God who provides the ram in the thicket instead of slaying Isaac. The God who uses the wickedness of men to accomplish his purposes. Haven't we often seen this in our own lives? I hope most of you have. How the Lord has used our sins, our Bad decisions are stupidity to bring ultimate good to us, to expose things that would not have been exposed about us in any other way so that we couldn't ask to be forgiven. Has not he turned a season of grief in your life into a season of joy? Because in that grief, you turned to the Lord and you sought his mercy. This is the God we serve, beloved. The Lord does this to teach us that salvation is completely in his hands. It's not under our control. We do not define who gets it and who's excluded from it. But he says in verse 12, I give these riches. Riches is a beautiful word. It is used three times in the King James. The last time the King James translates it as Fullness. But the idea is every time the gospel is preached to us, God puts eternal treasure into our very hands. Now, granted, you have to receive that treasure from someone as feeble as me, and some of you have been receiving it now for a long time, so you're used to it. But it's like a Christmas present, you just keep unwrapping year after year. And after a while, it can lose its luster. May God deliver us from our coldness. Because we forget when the gospel is preached to us, these are riches from God himself of grace, of mercy, of peace, and of love, and of wisdom. So that we may live to please him and to enjoy him. So yes, we live in an apostate age in many respects. And we grieve at the weakness of the church. But let us not forget who we serve. The Lord intends to bring good and life out of the things that make us hopeless. We don't know how he will do it. We don't know when. And that's because we are not gods. We are but worms. And we don't have to understand, though. We only need to trust him like Joseph did in Egypt. I mean, here's Joseph furiously saving the Egyptians. Did he know? Did he suspect that he was also put there to save his own family? Remember, we serve the God who brings the good out of evil, riches out of poverty, and salvation out of treachery. 
Now, verses 13 and 14 show the purpose of this controversial honesty on Paul's part. The Jews have fallen, and the Gentiles are raised up. Why? Well, Paul, of course, knows the Jews are evil in crucifying the Son of God. And he knew because he was one of them. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He knew they had wandered far from God's truth. But Paul wanted the Gentiles to understand what God was doing in all of this. At some level, God is is doing all of this. He says, he is the apostle to the Gentiles, so I want to magnify my office. In other words, God has called me to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. And the more I do this, the more faithful I am in preaching, the more God bestows his abundance, his riches upon the Gentiles, which in fact then feeds another purpose God has, which is to restore his ancient people. Because they had neither completely nor finally been cast away. So Paul wants the Gentiles to recognize what God is doing. God has sent the word to you because the Jews rejected it. Paul told his own countrymen in Acts 18, Your blood be on your own head. But as Paul says, The more diligent I am in preaching the gospel... And seeking to save the Gentiles, the more the whole world enjoys the grace of God in Jesus Christ. And eventually, this will give way to the salvation of the Jews. Paul says at one level, I am testimony to this because I was Saul the Jew who killed many, many Christians. But God's grace, but by God's grace, the Lord turned me into Paul the Apostle. And Paul understands and wants the Gentiles to understand that God intends to do this same thing on a much wider scale. So by being zealous in his calling, Paul has not forgotten his own countrymen. He says in verse 14, I want to provoke them to imitation. The more Gentiles that are saved, the more they enjoy the blessings God promises in his word. Paul says, the more pressure is put upon the Jews to say, look, man, at what we have lost. Look at what we have rejected. Look at the blessings they had out of our scriptures. Of course, I wonder sometimes how far we yet have to go. Because I dare say that the division and the distractedness of Protestantism with its electric church and entertainment, worship, and all the silly things we do in the West, that any serious-minded Jew is going to look at that and snort and say, I don't want that. So if we're going to be a part of this blessing, we are going to have to be serious and devoted to Christ and enjoy the fullness of the blessings that the Lord Jesus has purchased for us. Again, as I said earlier, Joseph The more zealously he worked to save the Egyptians, he laid the groundwork to save his own family. And Paul said, I'm doing the same thing. I labor diligently to fulfill my calling to the Gentiles, knowing thereby the Lord will humble the Jews and eventually provoke them 
to repentance. Notice this rather profound phrase at the end of verse 14. And might save some of them. Does Paul take too much upon himself here? That I might by all means save some of them, he says. Well, he certainly knew that God does all the saving. And yet he was also firmly persuaded that God sends the preacher with the word. And that God uses the means of preaching to save the lost. Gospel ministers in some respects are in a partnership with God as they faithfully use the means that God has ordained men to be saved. Well, this has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. As we have closed out our time together today, I would remind you that our desire is to know how this program encourages you in Christ. Now, there are a couple of three ways that you can contact us to provide us with this information. And again, it would really encourage us a great deal if you'd take a moment and let us know how the program is encouraging you in your walk and relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's how to contact us. Phone number is 40 408- 8665607 that's 4088665607 our website where you can drop us an email and even learn a bit more about us is reformedheritage.org and then of course you can write to us at PMB that stands for post mailbox number 402 1484 Pollard Road Los Gatos California the zip code is 95032 now, there is another way you can contact us, and this would be the best of all, especially if you're not involved in a church at this time. Plan on visiting. Let us uh, fellowship face-to-face, as it were. We meet at Lone Hill Church, 2 in the afternoon on Sundays at 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org, or by calling 408-866-5607. By the way, copies of the broadcast are just $5. Mention today's date when you contact us, and we'll get a CD out to you right away. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here. Here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never before seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. Salemnow.com.